Praise the Lord. Okay. It is good to see everyone that is here today. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> We're going to continue this morning with our final part four of the series we've been talking about, which is having a heart of worship, amen. And I've enjoyed teaching this. I've enjoyed putting into practice myself the things that uh, we've been talking about. So today is the last day for this series. Then next Sunday, um, we have three Sundays left in the year before I am on annual leave. I'm not 100% sure if there'll be church the Sunday after that. I've just got to have a look at the calendar. Um, but for the next three weeks, we're going to be doing a life class on Christmas, a Christmas-based life class, because we're moving into Christmas, amen. I was down at the Esplanade last night, and they just finished setting up the big Christmas tree that was up there. And uh, Sister Janie's got her wreath on the front door already, and... Um, getting excited for Christmas. I'm getting excited for annual leave. I'm going to be traveling away um, for half of December and half of January. Sister Janie and I are going to be heading down to Wollongong to spend Christmas with her family down there. We are taking Jonathan. Yes, we're not leaving him here um, unless Brother Radic would like to babysit for a month. But uh, <laughs> no, we're going to be going down there having Christmas down there, then traveling up to Canberra for conference. Now, let me just quickly talk for a couple of minutes about conference. I want to encourage you to try and be at conference this year if you can, um, because it's going to be the first conference we've had in person for, this will be the third year, it'll be three years since we've caught up in person. The last two conferences have all been virtual and online. And I don't know about you, but virtual conference just doesn't quite cut it for me. So the reason why I think this conference is going to be incredible is because everyone who is going to be there is going to come with an incredible expectation and an incredible thankfulness to be able to gather together in person. And I cannot wait to be a part of that. So I want to encourage you, if there is any way you can do it, you can drive, catch a train, catch a plane, take a fast camel, whatever you like. Just try and get yourself down to Canberra for conference. It's from the 2nd to the 6th of January, okay? So it's going to be great. We've got uh, Bishop David K. Bernard coming from America, uh, UPCI General Superintendent. So I'm looking forward to hearing him preach and minister, and he is a fantastic preacher and minister as well. And he also comes, of course, with the authority as being the general superintendent of our international church. I mean, it's just, it's going to be a powerful time. So I, again, I encourage you, make every effort you can to be at conference. Don't miss out. Get all your kids, get all your family, try and make it work, live in the back of your car, whatever you got to do, just try and get the conference. Amen? It's going to be great. Praise the Lord. And uh, I think that's all I want to talk about this morning. Praise the Lord. Like I said, my mind is all a bit discombobulated today because um, of, yeah, coming out to the car and having my wallet pinched. It's uh, never a good experience, especially on a Sunday morning. Amen. All right, let's move on. I feel like this is really loud. Is this really loud, this microphone? It's okay, Brother Radic, everyone else? Maybe just... Maybe just turn me down slightly, just slightly. Praise the Lord. 
All right, we're going to continue on our final uh, part four in the series we've been talking about, having a heart of worship. And let's recap briefly from last week. Last week, we spoke about how true worship will keep you from sin and rebellion. Amen. For those of you who weren't here, who missed out on last week, don't forget, of course, you can go back and watch it on YouTube as well. We have a YouTube channel, search the church and you'll find our YouTube channel. But last week we spoke about how true worship will keep you from sin and rebellion. And we looked at Psalm 95. We talked about how there's a progression there from, you know, it starts with praise and then it moves to worship and then it moves to rebellion, which is a really odd kind of transition in a psalm, amen. You kind of don't really expect to think about that kind of stuff in a psalm, but there is a real kind of progression here. Praise is when God hears your voice. You remember this from last week? When we praise God, God is hearing our voice. Worship is when we hear God's voice. Because worship is what allows us to enter into communication with God. Amen. But rebellion is what happens when we don't hear God's voice. And so a lack of worship in your life will lead to rebellion. Amen. It will. A lack of worship in your life will lead to rebellion. Amen. So we spoke about that last week. Last week we spoke about how ministry and our ministry can be broken into three areas. So we spoke about how everybody has a ministry, amen. It might not be a ministry of playing the piano or a ministry of preaching or a ministry of Sunday school, but everyone has a ministry and that is a ministry of worship, amen. And our worship, our ministry can be broken into three areas, into exhortation, which is ministry to the saints, evangelism, which is ministry to the lost, and then worship. And that is our ministry to God. Amen. Every one of us has a responsibility to care for our brothers and our sisters. Every single one of us has a responsibility to minister to the lost people that are outside these four walls. Amen. But all of us also have a ministry of worship to God. Amen. And that ministry is only between you and God. Nobody else comes into that ministry. It's just you. And what that means is that we can worship God no matter what's going on around us. We can worship God. If our brother or our sister next to us are not worshiping God, that's okay. We can still worship God because we don't need them to worship the Lord. Amen. We shouldn't need them to worship the Lord. Amen. And so nobody can stop you. Nobody can influence you. And then we finally, last week, we talked about how worship can be broken into three progressive stages. So the first one was thanksgiving. Before you ever begin to start this journey of worshiping the Lord, you have to start with thanksgiving. There has to be an attitude of, Lord, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for all that you've done. I'm thankful for the many blessings in my life. You know, we get so focused on everything as negative. Have you noticed that? I think it's a sense of, you know, this is what the world is like today. You read the newspaper, it's real hard to find like some good news stories. You know, some of my favorite videos on Facebook I like the cat ones and the dog ones where cats and dogs are doing funny things, right? Because they make me laugh, right? But otherwise, everything is so negative, right? And if we're not careful, we bring that into our relationship with God. Well, God, you're not doing this. God, you're not doing that. God, why do I have this problem in my life? God, why can't you fix this? Instead of focusing on what God is doing, Look at what you've done, God. Look at the blessings in my life. Look at how you've provided this. Look at what you've blessed me here with. Amen. So we've got to start with thankfulness. Now, thankfulness 
then progresses to praise. And praise is when we express our gratitude in some sort of verbal, audible, or demonstrative way, all right? So in other words, you cannot praise God by sitting in your pew or standing in your aisle and going, yes, I'm praising you, God. Praise you, God. Praise God. No. It's got to be, you've got to use your voice, you lift your hands, you might jump up and down. You know, we were singing that song in practice. Um, oh, I can't even think of the lyrics now, but it was just like, my song for today, I can't wait to sing. Rejoice, you know, doesn't matter what comes my way. I said, to, I was sitting up the back there, I said to Sister Janet, I said, doesn't matter what comes our way, <laughs> Amen. We can still rejoice, amen, and and our rejoicing, our praise, our exaltation of God should be something that's visible that people can see and hear and listen to us praising God, amen. And then worship is the ultimate expression of our ministry to God. It is the apex of divine communication. There is an exchange that happens between you and God. And that's why in an atmosphere of worship, God can accomplish great things, Why? Because we're connected with Him. We are in His very presence. And we are placing Him in the right place. Amen? So, worship. And so, this morning, we're going to continue on. And if you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them? I mentioned last week at the end of our class that we were going to talk about the Tabernacle of David. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the minor prophet of Amos. There's a prophecy here we want to read. Amos chapter 9. And uh, let's see, it's after Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Obadiah? Is that how you say that? Yeah, Obadiah, Micah, Habakkuk. Amos chapter 9, I'm going to read a couple of verses here, and then we're going to read them again in the New Testament. Everyone with me? Amos chapter 9, verse 11, say amen when you're there. Amos chapter 9, verse 11, in that day, this is the prophecy, I will raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen. And close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all the heathen which are called by my name, says the Lord that doeth this. Amen. Now, if you flip over to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 15 verse 13 says this, And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me, or listen unto me. Simon has declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. Now, here James is quoting the prophecy we just read in the book of Amos. He says this, After this I will return. And will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. 
Amen. It goes on, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles, which upon whom, upon whom my name is called, says the Lord who does all these things. There's the same prophecy. So James grabs that prophecy about the tabernacle of David and he plops it in the New Testament. And he says, what we have here is the tabernacle of David. God prophesied that it would be raised up again. And here we are, we're in the tabernacle of David, amen. So let's explore this concept of the tabernacle of David a little bit. Let's talk first of all about the history of the Ark of the Covenant, right? So back in the Old Testament now, when Eli was still the high priest, so this was right at the end of the times of Judges and before the times of the kings and Samuel, who was going to be the last judge before King Saul became king. He was just a little boy at this time and Eli was the high priest and there was a battle. And Eli had two sons, and they decided that they were going to take the Ark of the Covenant out of the tabernacle in Shiloh and take it to the battle, hoping that they would then win the battle because they had the presence of God with them, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the problem was that the sons were in sin. In Israel as a nation was not in a good place. There's a lesson in there. We can have the presence of God. But if there's sin in our life, it's not going to help you. You've got to get rid of the sin first, amen? And so they take this Ark of the Covenant down, and what happens? They lose. They still get beaten. And the Ark of the Covenant is captured. And the Philistines take it away. They take it down to their, wherever they're living, take it back to their cities, and, and bad things happen to them. They get struck with hemorrhoids and tumors and all sorts of crazy stuff, and they send it to all the different cities, and eventually they just go, look, we do not want the God of Israel in our towns. Let's send it back. So they send it back, and it gets sent back, and it stays at a place called Beth Shemesh. And it stayed there for a little while, and eventually they looked into the ark, and the moment, the Bible says, the men from Beth Shemesh looked into the ark, God killed them. Instantly. They all dropped dead the moment they looked into the ark. It was then moved from um, Beth Shemesh to a town called Kirjath Jerem. And there, the ark of the covenant stayed for 20 years. For 20 years, the ark of the covenant stayed at Kirjath Jerem. And you can read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 7. But see, the ark represented God's presence among his people. Even though God was a spirit, amen, and he was everywhere, when you came in front of the Ark of the Covenant, you were standing in the very presence of God. And that's why it was treated with such respect by the children of Israel, amen. And that's why the men from Beth Shemesh died when they looked in, because they didn't treat it with respect. They just thought, oh, it's another box. What's in the box? And then God killed them, amen. They didn't treat it with respect. <coughs> a little later on, when um, David was working with the ark, he was bringing it back on a cart. The cart stumbled, Uzziah touched it, and God struck him dead. Because it wasn't meant to be touched by anybody else. And only then on the rods, on the shoulders of the Levites who would carry it, amen. But here is the other interesting thing about the ark. The ark inspired worship. The ark inspired worship. The presence of God inspired worship. And I do find it very interesting that... When you study the life of Saul, Saul is the king of Israel, and never once do you read of him ever going to Kirjath-Jerim to check up on the ark. 
Never once do you read of him ever saying, well, you know what? I want to get the presence of God back where it belongs. I want to have the presence of God closer to me. And for 20 years, he reigns. And 20 years, nothing ever happens because he leaves the Ark of the Covenant over there. <clears throat> but David comes along the scene and he gets into his heart. Well, I want to move the Ark. I want to have the Ark of the Covenant closer to me. And he moved it from Kirjath-Jerim. And we know when he went to pick it up, we know he stuck it on a cart. And he began to take it. And then, at the, like I said earlier, the Ark stumbled. Uzziah reached out, steadied the Ark of the Covenant, and God struck him dead on the spot. Right? And so David came, whoa, whoa, back up, everyone. Let's just stop. We're not doing something right here. Let's just park the Ark of the Covenant right here while we figure out what we're going to do. And then he, he parks it at the place... A, play, a, a, a guy by the name of Obed-Edom. It stays at Obed-Edom's house and is there for, there for three months. Now, here's the interesting thing about Obed-Edom. Here's the interesting thing about Obed-Edom. He's a Gentile. He's not of the house of Israel. He's an outsider. Um, he's, he's outside the children of Israel, outside the covenant of Israel that God had with Abraham. But for three months... It stayed there. And you would think that if it was someone outside of the covenant of Israel, outside of the children of Israel, who was not an Israelite, they were Gentile, you would think that either something bad would happen or nothing would happen. But the Bible says that in the three months that it was there, God blessed Obed-Edom. So hang on, he's not one of us, but God's blessing him still because the Ark of the Covenant was there. And you know, there's, there's a lesson here for us. God blesses when we are in His presence. We might not have everything figured out. We might be an outsider. We might not even know everything there is to know about God. We may not even be right with God, but if we pursue living in His presence, God will bless us and God will help us get right with God. Amen. But we've got to pursue living in His presence. Amen. And so this is what Obed-Edom did. He had the ark there. He obviously treated it with respect because he didn't die. We don't read of his family dying, but God blessed the house of Obed-Edom. After three months, someone comes to David and says, David, God is blessing the house of Obed-Edom. We've got to get this ark of the covenant and get it back to where it belongs so God blesses the nation of Israel now. And so David goes down there, but this time he read up and he made sure, I'm going to do this right now. So you've got Levites to carry it in the proper manner but here is the interesting thing remember the story started with the ark being in Shiloh but David doesn't take the ark back to Shiloh instead David sets up a new tabernacle and he calls it the tabernacle of David and that tabernacle is set up at Jerusalem not in Shiloh and so what you have is this kind of unique situation where you got the tabernacle of David and the tabernacle of Shiloh happening, but the Ark of the Covenant is located in David's tabernacle, amen? And he puts it there. Now, how does this relate to the New Testament? Why this prophecy? Why was it this prophecy that James grabbed from Amos and said, this is the tabernacle of David? He didn't say it was the tabernacle of Shiloh. He didn't say it was the tabernacle of Moses. He said, what is happening here in the book of Acts, after the Holy Spirit has been poured out, this is the tabernacle of David that is being raised up again, was prophesied by Amos. Amen. So how does this relate to us? So here's the first thing. After, under the Old Testament law, people 
were barred from entering into the tabernacle. Certain types of people. People who were maimed. People who had lost a leg. People who had lost a hand. Who had lost an eye. Um, people who were injured. People who were sick. People who were illegitimate. People who were not from a proper marriage. Amen. They were barred from the tabernacle. They weren't allowed in. Anyone outside of the nation of Israel. If you weren't Jewish, you weren't allowed in. Amen. They had a special Gentiles court where you could go, but you were not allowed in to the tabernacle. Amen. You were barred from access. But David's tabernacle was different. David's tabernacle was open. Anybody could come in and worship the one true God of Israel if they desired. And the Ark of the Covenant was on display. People could see it. You could see the Ark of the Covenant there if you wanted to in the Tabernacle of David. It didn't matter the background. It didn't matter your nationality. It didn't matter if you were maimed or injured. If you wanted to come and worship God, you could. And in the New Testament, we see this as well. Right In the New Testament, the Jewish church is founded, but what do we see happen? We see Cornelius, who is seeking God, a Gentile, a Roman centurion, and Peter goes to his house and begins to preach the gospel to him. And while he is preaching, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit falls, and they all began to speak with other tongues. Amen? But they're outside. But here they are, able to worship the one true God in spirit and in truth. Amen? You see this in the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Now, we all understand what a eunuch is, right? There's someone who's had the reproductive parts of their body cut off so they can serve the queen, a male, right? But under the rules, they're not allowed into the temple. They're not allowed into the tabernacle. They can't come into the presence of God. They're not perfect. There's something wrong with them. But yet Philip is sent by God to preach to this Ethiopian eunuch. And he's baptized, filled with the Spirit. And Philip is miraculously transported away. Why? He's not allowed in. But under the New Testament, under the New Covenant, all of a sudden it's looking a lot like the tabernacle of David where people can come if they want. Amen? doesn't matter their background. doesn't matter what's going on. Amen? And see, this is good news for us today. Amen? Because none of us, unless someone hasn't told me something, are Jewish. Every single one of us are Gentile. Every single one of us are outside. But it means that we still have the privilege to come in and worship God. It doesn't matter our background. It doesn't matter if we haven't figured it out. It doesn't matter if we have life all sorted. We can be a man, a woman, a boy, a girl, young, old, rich, poor, black, white, red, yellow, green, whatever color you want, you can still worship God. God, amen. We have access to the presence of God through worship, amen. And we should not take that for granted because before the New Testament, we would be excluded. But the tabernacle of David that was raised up in the book of Acts when God poured out his spirit is open for all to come, amen. Amen. Here's the other thing about the tabernacle of David. The worship that happened around the tabernacle of David was spontaneous and it was unrestrained. And it happened all the time. It never stopped. David had appointed singers and singers, like huge rosters of singers to continually praise and worship God there. But the story goes, when King David 
brought the ark back into Jerusalem. The Bible says that he danced and he worshipped unrestrained. He let nothing hold him back from worshipping God. He sung, he danced, he jumped all over the place, he praised God. And Michal, his wife, judged him for this and chided him for looking less like a king and more like some sort of a common fellow. And God judged her for that. But it seems, when you study it out, it seems like this style of praise and worship went into the tabernacle as well. Amen. And so when the apostle James was looking back at the tabernacle of David and looking back at the prophecy, he realized, hang on, not only are we open for everybody to come, whether they are freeborn or slave, Gentile or Jew, the worship that we have and what God's Spirit does in our midst is unrestrained and it is free and we can worship how we want, amen. On the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, people flowed into the street, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking some sort of weird language that nobody had heard before. They were glorifying and magnifying and praising and worshiping God. There was no one telling them what to do. There was no order. There was no controlling them. No one was telling them to sit down and stick to the program, amen. What does that mean for us? Brothers and sisters, our worship of God should not be just because the program tells us that we should. Thank you, Brother Adam. Our worship of God should not just be, okay, here's the end of the song. Now I'll lift my hands. Yes, I worship you, God. Okay, next song. Oh, song's finished. Yes, I worship you, God. Okay, let's sit down and relax now till the preaching's done and then I've got some nice chicken at home for lunch. No, our worship should not be controlled by our program, but we should have the freedom to worship God however we want, amen. But let me tell you, the same thing applies in your homes. The same thing applies in your workplaces, in your cars, and wherever you are. If you feel the presence of God, you should have freedom in your heart to throw your hands up and say, yes, I love you, Jesus. I worship your Lord. I magnify your Lord. This is the kind of culture and atmosphere we want to generate in our homes and in our workplaces, amen. And so we should be willing to raise our hands, free to raise our hands if we want to, clap if we want to, cry and weep if we want to, come pray at the altar if we want to, dance if we want to, sing if we want to, amen, because worship is our ministry to God. We spoke about this last week, amen. So we should do what we feel God's Spirit is telling us to do. And don't worry, if it's really wild and out of order, pastor will come talk to you, amen. But we should be willing, we shouldn't be just sitting back like sticks on a pew, waiting for the program to finish so we can go do whatever we want to do, amen? Amen. It's true. We should be willing to worship God with all of our heart, our soul, and our strength, amen? Finally, third point, and then I want to talk a little bit about practical worship. So the first point about the tabernacle of David was that it was an open tent, Anybody was able to come. The second thing, the worship was unrestrained and spontaneous. People just worshiped God. People were like, you know what? I feel like going to the tabernacle and worshiping God for a while. I'll be back. It was like, there was no, there was no program. Like, I have to be here. I have to. No, we're just going to go worship God. Amen? The third point, in the tabernacle of David, the Ark of the Covenant and not the sacrificial rituals became the focus of worship. By this stage in the history of Israel, in Moses' tabernacle, the focus was almost entirely on sacrifice and rituals. You know, have, have, am I doing everything right? 
Have I dotted the I's? Have I crossed the T's? And make sure we do all the right feast days and make sure we wash our hands correctly. Make sure we offer the right incense at the right time. Are we doing everything correctly? We don't want to make this mistake. But in David's tabernacle, it was simply focused on what represented the presence of God. It was simply focused on God. You know, it's almost like they're saying, you keep doing all your rituals over there, you know, dead, dry, boring stuff in Shiloh. Over here at the tabernacle of David, we're just going to worship God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, all of our might, all of our strength. We don't care what you guys do over there. We're going to worship God over here, amen. And, and you see this in the New Testament, right? You see this even when Jesus was on the earth. The Pharisees were like, well, your disciples haven't washed their hands properly and they picked some corn going through the field on the Sabbath day and that's work and God doesn't like that. What, you healed that man on the Sabbath day? Jesus, what were you thinking? Right, rituals and rules and regulations and, you know, the Pharisees came up with a whole bunch of extra laws that were oral tradition. They added on to the law of Moses that everyone had to follow and everyone had to do and couldn't drag a chair because you looked like you were plowing on the Sabbath day and that's not good, amen. But, you know, in, in Acts chapter 4, the elders come to Peter and they come to, I think it was James, John, sorry, they come to Peter and John and they say, stop preaching about Jesus, Stop talking about Jesus. Stop spreading this man's gospel all over the city. Why? Because the elders and the Pharisees didn't want the focus taken off of all of their traditions and their rituals and all the good Jewish things they were supposed to do to make sure they tick all the boxes, amen. But Peter and John, they replied, well, we ought to obey God rather than man. And later on, they prayed for boldness. And they prayed for signs and wonders. Verse 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Why? Because they weren't focused on ritual. They weren't focused on program. They weren't focused on everything else. They were saying, we just want Jesus. And we just want to preach Jesus. And we just want to experience His presence. And we want you to experience His presence. Jesus died on a cross. He was buried and He rose again the third day and you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and you can be baptized in Jesus name and the elders are just losing it over there because all of a sudden they're not talking about the temple and talking about the rules and the rituals they're just preaching Jesus and that is what God wanted them to do amen and so for today for us we can't let tradition and program get in the place of a move of God let me let me tell you something practical here for a sec sorry my nose is Something I've noticed with our church, something I want to I work on maybe in the new year. We have altar calls, which is great. You know, I think that's a good thing. Um, and I actually like to have an altar call every service because I think there's something important about responding to the Word of God and just coming to the altar and say, yes, God, I receive that. Lord, change me. Help me to become more like what you spoke about in your Word. I think that's a good thing. So I want to do that. But what I have noticed is that when we come to the altar, often we come and we spend like three minutes, four minutes, and then we go sit back down again. Kind of praying, we're kind of, you know, we're down here. We're praying, and we're kind of looking at everyone else. Oh, okay, everyone's going back to their seats now. Okay, I'll go back to my seats. I wonder what we miss out from God because we don't persist. And can I just tell you, Sister Janie is happy to keep playing for as long as you want to keep praying. Amen. Just let's, let's focus on making sure we get what we need from God. Let's not leave this place thinking, 
yeah, it was a good service. Yeah, it touched me. But let's be determined. No, I'm going to come. I'm going to pray until I get what I need from God. Amen. Why? Because that's just between you and God. That's just something practical. Amen. We need to be willing to allow the worship of God to sweep us wherever He wants to sweep us. Amen. We've got to be willing to fo- follow wherever God leads. Amen. Because without that, without a move of the Spirit through the power of worship, we risk falling into the same thing that Pharisees did. Well, we come to church. Prayer is at 9.30. Life class at 10. Main service at 11. We're finished by 12.30 and then it's lunchtime. Hello? We can start to fall into that as well if we're not careful. That's why we need to be praying. God, we need a move of your Spirit every Sunday. Why? Because the program is good, but the moment the Spirit of God steps in, He needs to take over. He needs to be in charge. Amen. And we need to go wherever He leads. Amen. Someone say amen. Amen. And that is why. All those three things. It was an open, it was an open tabernacle. It was, the worship was spontaneous. The Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, God Himself, amen, was the focus of worship. Not the rituals. It was all of these reasons why James looked at what was going on in the church, the outpouring of the Spirit, the spontaneous worship that was happening, how God had opened the church up for everybody to come. It was all of this for James to go, ah, okay, I see what God's doing here. There was a prophecy in the book of Amos where God said through the prophet that he was going to raise up the tabernacle of David. And here we are, amen. And that tabernacle stands today here in our hearts, in this building, amen. We can worship God with freedom, with no restrictions, amen. And in that worship of God, it's open for everybody. It's open for all, amen. Praise the Lord. All right, how are we doing for time? Excuse me. I want to deal now, finish up this series for the last sort of five to ten minutes or so. I want to talk about some practical things, Okay. I want to pastor for a little while here. Just things I want to try and encourage you with. I already kind of did a little bit talking about when you come to the altar, don't be in a rush to leave. You know, come to the altar and get what you need from God. Amen. But here's the, here's the things I want to talk to you about. First of all, we spoke about it, I think, in week two. We said God is looking for worshipers. In last week, we spoke about how worship is your ministry to God. Nobody else should be allowed to stop you worshiping God. Amen? So don't let them. So don't let them. See, don't be concerned about the people who are around you. Don't be concerned about what they're doing. Amen? As a church and as individuals, we need to be focused on our ministry to God our worship to God. And that means we have no need to watch what other people are doing in their worship. We shouldn't be concerned about what our brother or what our sister is doing as they worship God. We have no need to judge them for where they're at because worship is your ministry to God. So keep your focus on God. Don't be lifting your hands and doing these things. Sister so-and-so is not worshiping. Bit, bit sinful today, I think, huh? Oh, yes, I worship you, Jesus. I worship, oh, come on. Wow, she's actually pretending now. No, we can't judge. It's not your job 
to worry about how others are worshiping God, what they do. It's your job. Turn to the person next to you say, it's my job to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth for yourself without worrying about what's going on around you. Amen. We don't have the right. It's not your ministry to the church. You don't minister to the church in your worship. You minister to God. Amen. And if we can do that, it creates a climate that exalts God. Amen. It creates a climate that exalts God. Another thing. Don't be afraid to lift your hands. Don't be afraid to lift your hands. Lifting your hands is the universal sign of surrender. If someone points a gun at you and says, Hansi Hock, you might not know what that means. But if they're pointing a gun at you, what are you going to do? Because you know that means I surrender, don't shoot me. Right? So they can be speaking German to you, but if they've got a gun, you know. Okay, hands up. I'm not going to not going to move, right? Lifting your hands is the universal sign of surrender. So don't be afraid to lift your hands to God because what you're saying is I surrender God to whatever you want to do in my life. I surrender to your will. I surrender to your ways. I surrender to your purpose in my life. I surrender to wherever you want to lead me, God. I surrender. That's why we lift our hands. Amen. The Bible tells us in Psalms 28 verse 2, Hear the voice of my supplication when I cry unto you, when I lift my hands towards your holy oracle. Amen. There is something connected with surrender and allowing God to move in your life. We want God to move in our life. Hello? I do. I want God to move in my life. But can I tell you, God is not going to move in your life when you're not surrendered. And worship is how you surrender to God. Lift your hands and worship God. Paul put it like this to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2.8. I will therefore that men or women pray everywhere, what? Lifting up holy hands without wrath, so without anger, and without doubting. Amen. When we lift up our hands and worship to God, we can't be angry. We can't have something in our heart. You're not going to worship God. It's not going to work. Hello? Amen. And you can't lift your hands saying, well, I doubt God's going to show up. He didn't show up last week, so I worship you, Jesus. Nope, didn't show up. Told you. No, we cannot doubt God. We've got to believe that God wants to hear from us and that God wants to communicate with us. Amen. So lifting your hands signifies that you want God's will to be done in your life. It's a surrender. Amen. So don't be afraid to lift your hands. When the worship leader says, why don't we all lift our hands? When pastor gets up at the, at the takeover between the, the worship service and the preaching and he says, let's all just lift our hands and worship the Lord. Everyone should be throwing their hands up. Why? Because we're not concerned about what's going on around us. We're worshiping God. Amen. That's what we've got to do. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to lift your hands. The second thing, stay focused on what the Spirit is doing or trying to do. Keep pushing, amen? Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. Don't allow yourself to be distracted. Have you ever noticed that it is when God's Spirit begins to move, there is inevitably a baby that begins to cry somewhere in the church. There is some child who loses their cool. Something happens. There is a distraction. And you've got to stop. Oh, what's going on? Don't worry about that. Let the parents take care of it. You keep worshiping God. Don't get distracted. 
Amen. Don't get distracted. The kids are going to make noise. You know, your tummy is going to tell you that it's nearly lunchtime. It's in the middle of your worship you'll remember about that bill that you haven't paid yet. You know, the, the devil is in the details. And if he can get you focused on details, on anything else other than worshiping God, he will. He wants to. He does not want your worship to go to God. He's happy for your praise to go to God. He doesn't care about that. But he does not want your worship to go to God. Amen. And so don't get distracted by everything that's going on around you. How do you do that? You've got to continually bring your focus back into the present. Right now, I'm worshiping God. Right now, I'm in his presence. Right now, God can speak to my heart. And I'm not going to allow what's going to happen in the future to bother me. I'm not going to be worried about what's happened in the past to distract me. Right now, in this moment, at this place, I'm going to lift my hands up and I'm going to worship God. And I'm not going to get distracted. Amen. You've got to have this continual focus back on God. Amen. Because your mind will wander. Your mind will wander. Amen. Next point, talking about practical worship. Step outside your comfort zone. Step outside your comfort zone. You know, if you've never clapped your hands, try clapping. Wild, I know, right? If you've never clapped your hands, try clapping. If you've never raised your hands, try raising your hands. Just see what God does, amen? Wherever you are in your walk with God, Try and step out a little further. Push yourself a little further. If you've never come up to the front and started just dancing in the spirit, you know, we don't do enough of that here. I see a few of us do. Me and Sister Mella usually go a bit crazy. But, you know, I remember there's been church services where we get the entire church at the front of the church. We're all just going crazy at the front. The musicians are like just trying to hold on as we sing the song for the 700th time. We're just too busy worshiping God, amen? Right? We're too busy praising God. We need to be willing to step out of our comfort zone amen step out of your comfort zone next point don't attempt to control what god is wanting to do whatever you do don't feel god's spirit and not respond that's a terrible thing to do that is called quenching the spirit and did you know you could stop you can stop dead cold what god wants to do in your life when you step back and go no i'm not going to respond and you might not respond for a variety of reasons. I didn't like that song. I don't like the music team. I don't like the pastor. I killed my cat when I reversed over it this morning on the way to church. You know, whatever. You can choose to go, I'm not responding. And God is sitting saying, come on. Come on. Talk to me. Worship me. Be with me. Come on. Amen. So don't attempt to control what God is trying to do. We do it for so many reasons. We, we worry about what others might think about us. Man, if I lose it and I start dancing like a wild maniac across the front of the church, people are going to think I'm crazy. So what? Who cares? God doesn't care. He wants your worship, amen? Maybe we come with a bad attitude towards God or towards a brother or sister. Maybe we, we don't like to feel uncomfortable. Or maybe, maybe this one. Maybe we're too busy having a pity party. Oh, poor me. My life is so hard. It's such a struggle. I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, my goodness, I can't worship God in this kind of mindset. No, you're right, you can't. Get out of it and then worship God, amen. Worship will set you free from that. Hello? Amen. Snap out of it. Allow God to do what God wants to do in your life, amen. He's not going to let you down, amen. He's not going to let you down. The Bible says every good and every perfect gift comes down 
I ain't ever received a gift from God that I didn't like. Amen. Every time he's blessed me, it's been good. Amen. So you can trust him. You can trust him. Praise the Lord. Okay. Last point. Last point. Why don't we all stand, actually? How are we doing for time? Okay, not too bad. Last point I want to share. In practical worship. Don't stay out of the altar. Don't stay out of the altar. To pursue a life of worship, you have to have a life in the altar. I look around, I look at people because I'm the pastor. I'm allowed to do that. It helps me work out who I need to pray for and what's going on in the church. But I see some people, they just don't come to the altar very often. You just don't see them come to the altar for whatever reason. They're the ones sitting at the back. Um, you know, the ones not really paying attention. They're living their life out of the altar. And, you know, I don't know why that is. I've got some suspicions. I think some people think the altar is only for sinners. Nothing could be further from the truth. The altar is for everybody. You look at the Old Testament. People did not just offer sacrifices for sin. They went to the altar and offered sacrifices for thanksgiving, sacrifices of worship, sacrifices of the good things that God had done, sacrifices just because they wanted to bless God. Right? The altar is not just for sinners. If you are a sinner, it's a good place to be. But it's not just for sinners. Everybody should feel free. Hey, I'm going to go to the altar today. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to talk to God about what's going on in my life. And it doesn't even have to be sin. Sister Janie and I, we made a little altar out there. Before life class, we went out there, we held hands, we prayed. I said, God, I'm stressed. My wallet has been stolen. Money has come out of my account. I'm frustrated. But God, I want to put it on the altar. I want to leave it for you to take care of. And I want to go minister. I want to go love. I want to go care for people. Amen? We can build an altar for any reason we want and put stuff on it. The other thing you can do with an altar is you can put yourself on it. Bible says in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Sometimes you've got to come down to the altar and you've got to put yourself on the altar. And you've got to say, God, I surrender my life to you again. I want you to have your way, Lord. I want you to have your way. Don't stay out of the altar. Here's another reason why I think we stay out of the altar. I think this is specific to our church. We have an abominable attitude of shame in our community. And I hate it. I hate it. I use that word deliberately. I hate it. I hate the fact that there are people who want to come to the altar and they don't because they're shame. What are people going to think about me? It's shame and it's bad. It's bad that they feel like people are going to judge them. It's bad if people are judging them. I do not want that culture in this church. We need to come to the altar and not be shamed about what people think. Who cares what other people think? Their opinion didn't matter a beans anyway. Come to the altar. Talk to the Lord. Get what you need. Repent if you need to and be right with God. Don't worry about what others think. And if you are one of the people who sit back and judge people who come to the altar, and I'm not thinking of anyone, but if you are my Lord, please find a place and repent because that's bad. That's sin. That'll keep you out of heaven. Amen? We should not judge one another. I detest that culture, and I don't want it in this church. Amen? We should not have 
shame. We should be willing to come and be free before God. Amen? Amen. So overall, what I'm trying to say is being in the altar should be a privilege. We should be going, Lord, I want to be the first to the altar. You know, we'd see this up in New Guinea. You know, we would, we would, there would be preaching happening, and you'd see it. The people were literally waiting to be told, if you want to come to the front and receive from God, they would run. There would be a stampede to get to the front. That's what I want in our church. I want our church to be just like, I've got to get to the altar. I've got to be in the presence of God. I've got to sacrifice some stuff. I've got to repent. I've got to make my life right. I've got to just offer thanks to God because he's been blessing me. That's what I want. But how often is it when we give an altar call? It's like everyone's kind of looking around. Who's going to be the first horrific sinner to go to the front today? Oh, that brother's gone. He, he's the worst sinner. Now I can go, no, rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Let's be determined to live our life in the altar. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Let's lift our hands right now. And let's just begin to worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus, I worship you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, we make our voice heard right now as we exalt your great name, as we place you in the highest place, Lord God. There is nobody like you, Lord Jesus. You are beyond compare, Lord God. You are high and lifted up. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And yet, God, you are my father and my best friend, Lord God. You're my tower of defense, Lord, my shield, Lord God. The wall around me, Lord Jesus. And I worship you and I praise you because you are good and you are loving and you are kind and you are glorious and there is nobody like you, Jesus. I worship you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. Father, right now, Lord Jesus, we make an altar. Right now where we're standing, Lord, we lay our lives on it again as an act of worship, Lord God. We surrender our life, Lord God. Broken it might be. Flawed it might be, Lord Jesus. We might not be perfect, Lord. We might not have everything figured out, Jesus. But right now, right now in this atmosphere of worship. We lay our life down on the altar again, Lord. Have your way in our life, Lord God. Let your will be done, Lord Jesus. Let your will be accomplished, Lord God. Lord, we exalt you, Jesus. You are the great I am. There is nobody like you, Lord. You are high and lifted up, Jesus. You are sovereign. You are on your throne, Lord God. You are the king of every king, Lord Jesus. All authority, all power in heaven and in earth belongs to you. And we worship and exalt you. We praise your glorious name today. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. There's no one like you, Jesus. Father, as we get ready to move into our worship service, Lord, have your way, Lord God. Let every adult that is here today, Lord Jesus, worship you with all of their heart, their soul, their strength, Lord God. Lord, help us not to be worried about what is going on around us, Jesus. Help us not to be concerned about who's done what and who's thinking this and what are this person doing, Lord, but let us focus on our ministry to you today, Lord God, and exalt you like you deserve, Lord. 
Have your way, Lord. Let your spirit sweep through this place today in a mighty way, Lord. And help us, Lord, to respond when you begin to move. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We glorify you. We lift you up in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise.